0: It's Thursday, March 11th, and you are listening to the first episode of Season 2 of Combing the Stacks. We are a music podcast dedicated to covering the best albums of all time, as determined by BestEverAlbums.com. Your hosts on this journey are three guys who have had their fill of flower power, John, Josh, and Matt. We are officially in the 1970s, and we have three important albums to discuss tonight. In our first segment, John will take us in a completely different direction in covering the second album from punk rock legends, The Stooges. 1970s Funhouse sounds nothing like anything else at the time, and prompted frontman Iggy Pop to boast that if he did anything in his career, he helped bring an end to the 60s. After hearing this blistering album, it's hard to argue otherwise. In our second segment, Josh will revisit Crosby, Stills, and Nash, but this time we'll throw some young in there as well. The band's second album, or maybe first, Deja Vu, was released in 1970 and is widely considered to be their strongest effort. All members get their time in the spotlight as they come to terms with the end of the 1960s. We're sure to hear some stories about how things weren't always so cordial with four of the most egotistical personalities in the business. In our final segment, Matt will finally take a break from the Beatles and Bob Dylan by covering the Grateful Dead's 1970 classic album, American Beauty. This is the first time we'll cover The Dead, as we discuss an album that was fairly atypical for the granddaddies of the jam bands. While The Dead are more known for their live shows, American Beauty has been lauded over the years as the band's crowning achievement in the recording studio. Decades come and decades go, but Combing the Stacks isn't going anywhere. We're excited to see where music goes in one of the craziest times in music history, so let's stop wasting time and get to it. We'll see you inside. The episode 35 of the combing the stacks podcast or cts if you're one of the cool kids i'm your chairman of the board and the governor of the estate new jersey's favorite son john i'm joined as always by the dynamic duo of discourse who i'm proud to call my co-hosts first the man whose knowledge knows no bounds and whose voice has fathered a thousand offspring the man the myth the legend Matty ice himself matt how are you man
1: oh man what an intro (laughs) i am doing fantastic i'm doing very well and i am excited because i think if we're not this might be officially the Ides of March um, it, so we talked, right. about the Ides of, we talked about the Ides of October or something earlier but now yep. we're definitely it's middle of March, Ides of March happy Ides of March everybody it's glad to be, I'm glad to be with everybody <laughs> tonight again
0: Nice. and in the background you heard the voice of the man who brings the hottest takes this side of the equator known as the heartbreaker and pun maker of the CTS podcast, jumping Josh Flash himself, Josh
2: I, am, I have no hair but I'm letting my freak flag fly <laughs> I love it. Freak
0: Flag in the 70s is starting. Boy, do we have some great uh, albums today to start the 70s, don't we, guys, in episode number one? Um, I'll be covering the Stooges' second album, Funhouse. It's actually the second album by the Stooges we've done. Uh, Josh, why don't you tell our fine listeners what you'll be covering tonight?
2: I'm cro- covering Crosby, Stills, and Nash's and Young's 1970 album, Deja Vu. And Matt, what are you covering tonight?
1: I, I'm doing The Grateful Dead um Mm. their fifth studio
0: album american beauty
2: fifth okay
1: fifth studio album yeah
0: yep and uh, american beauty not to be confused with the movie and deja vu not to be confused with the strip club for those that are listening out there (laughs) or the denzel washington movie (laughs) or the denzel washington (laughs) as well (laughs) i need i need to read up on my strip clubs i didn't even know that was a strip club so there you go. Shout out to all our listeners in Michigan who went to school with me at Michigan State because we spent a, <laughs> a that, night or two you know there. Yes. And I did, great, yeah. Yeah. Just that one once or twice. So twice probably, actually <laughs> think about it. All right, Matt, I'll defer to you because we've got a new segment, don't we? We do. We have a new segment. It's called um uh
1: what is it called <laughs> it's called the essential questions oh essential we were doing election. so well too
0: Matt. we were doing so well
1: i i I knew what it was called, I just wanted to throw we have to have some hiccups in here we can 't be perfect on the first uh episode of season two, but we have we 're going to be doing occasionally essential questions which um if 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 one of us uh, is uh, inspired to come up with a thought uh, that they want to discuss with the rest of the uh, the members of the podcast and throw out an essential question that has some thematic um, relevance to the albums that we are covering. So Josh is jumping right in um, yep. with his. He's got an essential question that's just been burning inside. So uh, Josh, uh, I have no idea what this is going to be. So well, and I was going to say we don't know this, yeah. so this we should be know. interesting. So this yeah. is going to be totally on uh, off the uh, off the cuff here. So Josh, let's yep. hear the uh, essential question for this week.
2: What's the of life? Yes, thank you for that intro. I uh, always uh, take inspiration from the albums that we listen to when thinking about the broader themes of life and and starting a new decade chronologically also got me really excited. So my essential, essential question to you all is, when you think of the 70s, what comes to mind besides music? What events, mm. what people, occurrences, things like that? How do, how do you define the 70s when that word comes into mind?
0: Wow. Matt, you want to start or you want
2: me to? So, Free association. So first of all... um
1: yeah that's a that's a good question because i i'm just thinking about the seventies the seventies i don't i have much more of a feel for the sixties and the eighties and the nineties and the seventies mm-hmm. are kind of i don't know if I have as much of a feel for that interestingly enough i mean I think it's kind of like a bridge certainly between obviously the sixties and the seventies or the eighties but there's so there, you have some of the remnants of like the 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 uh like the flower power you know but mm-hmm. that also kind of dies not too not too long into the seventies um yep. But definitely, you know, the music, I think movies, um, you know, certain you know movies, that's when I started, I don't know if I really know a ton of movies from the 60s, but I think that my earliest, you know, kind of um, reference for, for certain movies, like the old, like comedies, like, you mm-hmm. know, Animal House and uh, and stuff like that, you know, um, I think probably the 70s is the earliest that I go back for watching movies, like classic movies, like Taxi Driver and stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. Definitely a 70s but, movie. But uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I was I was born in the '70s. I was born in 1978. I was, yeah, I was waiting so, for you to say that. So it's a very important it's a very important decade in, in that respect. But <laughs> I was I also don't remember anything about the '70s. Um, <laughs> so uh, I'm not that yeah I'm not that bright. So um, that's a nice. good question, Josh. It's kind of like a it's interesting. It's kind of like a I, I view it almost like as a nebulous you know, time period. And certainly there's some political upheaval with Nixon and Watergate and whatnot. Yep. Um and uh the end of Vietnam. But all that's yeah, um I don't know. That's it's 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 that's a good question. Um I, I don't really have specifics on it. It's just a lot of generalities pretty much. Yeah.
2: Yeah, okay. John, well, you're a history enthusiast. What uh, what comes to mind for you when uh, thinking of the 70s? First, I thought
0: you were going to ask us the incestual (laughs) question of the 70s. I was like, well, I'm way not prepared for that question, but it is the essential (laughs) essential question. Uh, I think that what I think of as the 70s is kind of like a loss of innocence because between the 60s and the 80s, the 60s had sort of like an idealism to it amongst, Mm -hmm. well, let me always start by saying that when we talk about themes of the 60s and the 80s and 90s when people talk about it. It's very important to think like who the theme applies to, right? So that flower power sort of, you know, counterculture narrative was not the mainstream of the 60s, which I think people always forget about, right? You know, mm-hmm. most people in the 60s who were young were going to Vietnam, right? They right. they were not in flower power, right? I think of the 70s as kind of like a loss of innocence a little bit. In some ways it's kind of like what people imagine the 60s is is a tumultuous time, but an actual much more aggressively tumultuous time in my opinion Mm -hmm. there's a lot of um you know there's recessions uh especially starting in the mid-70s to the late 70s there's um, a continuation of race relations but after sort of like this idea that people are coming together it kind of grounds to a halt because of things like um you know bussing and Um, affirmative action for the first time going in and then being challenged. Mm -hmm. Um, I think women really asserted themselves a lot more in the 70s musically i think of like the budding of lots of different genres that we're going to cover like yep. funk is all the way there at the beginning of it prog rock starts to come in we've got kraut rock coming in in the late 70s you start you have punk you have the beginnings of new wave um I, I, even the beginnings of hip-hop are at the very t- tail end of the mm-hmm. 70s yep, and it won't really sure. be there there's tons of soul and r&b and there's There's also things like big arena rock comes in in the 70s, like big, big rock and album-oriented rock. So I think the 70s is a real exciting period for me because we're going to probably be a lot less beholden to specific genres and we're going to be all over the place. That's kind of what I think of when I think of the 70s. And pop culture just gets grimier and dirtier. The Mm -hmm. movies, the music, all of it, you know? Yep, for sure. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, I I think of when I was thinking of this, I – you know, think of broadly like the Cold War, right? And and the tensions of that. Things like the Munich uh, hostage crisis. That's that seems like a big, a big event that I think of. And, and even something just like more simply like bell bottoms, right? Bell bottoms and disco. That kind of like fashion. Mm-hmm. Oh, that- disco! Oh, god, yeah. I didn't even <laughs> mention disco, and that's another thing. Yeah, yeah. That um. So those just images pop- and even like something like the gas crisis in america you know mm-hmm. during the 70- in during carter's administration um you know very very uh american-centric those ideas a lot of them but but um yeah those are just kind of the images that first popped into my head when thinking about the 70s and then obviously like all the movies the rise of the the ascendances ascendancy of the new hollywood and and all those uh Uh, directors like Spielberg and Scorsese and Coppola and and um, other filmmakers um, making those famous movies well and the
0: movies become adult right it's like it goes away from sort of classic Hollywood and into the the young boomer slash slightly older than boomer filmmakers right who are Mm bringing a different narrative yeah
2: yep so yeah I thought it'd be a good way to to kick off our our 70s discussion and uh, we got a lot of good thoughts there what um? What
0: genre of music are you guys most looking forward to cover? I think you guys both know that for me it's going to be punk, but uh, what yeah. about you guys? Or two tone ska, Matt? Maybe if we get into that. God, yeah. I'm going to be <laughs> sick on that night.
2: <laughs> There's no sick days. No.
1: Nope. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I'm really inter- I'm really looking forward to punk as well. Um, obviously Prague rock. Uh, mm-hmm. I, you know, I I'd like the expansion of that. Um,
2: not music made in Prague not music made in Prague. although <laughs> hey i'm not a,
1: i'm not averse to that if you guys if we can throw in some actual prog about, rock from Prague, I, i'd do that how about like that aor those big ass hooks and choruses yeah I, I, i'm get, excited yeah. for all of it like and i i think that this is going to be whereas you know in the 60s when we covered th- those albums the r&b soul mm-hmm. genre was kind of was fairly um you know, I knew a lot of the artists but I didn't know the extent of the music that we were listening to. Um so I really like that and I think I'm excited to get into the funk, you know, you know, I think next week we start that right off the bat, right? Mm-hmm. Kind of early on, we start doing some funk. So uh yep. you know, um and, and uh, I'm interested to see, you know, to hear that hear that and learn more about it. So um yeah, I, I, I am definitely excited to be here. I think uh, you know, um I, I, I would not I love the sixties, but um I, I have a feeling that by the end of this uh of this season I am going to, it's going to be much harder for me to come up with my top 10 um, Mm -hmm. albums than it was for the 60s. I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to be, I liked a lot of the albums in the 60s, but I think I might be feeling more of the albums in the 70s as an overall whole, um, despite the fact that there's
0: only one Beatles album. So, (laughs) one, and and what about, and it's a wall of sound Beatles album, Matt, which I'm really excited to hear about. But, yeah. uh, But, uh, Matt, or excuse me, Josh, what about you? What, Type of music are you excited about listening to?
2: Well, it would be easy for me to say punk and ska because those are the genres I love. But I, I am excited to hear the stuff that I have no frame of reference for, and Mm. kind of and looking and discovering those new bands and albums that I may have only heard of a name but never a a song from them. And um, that's part of the fun of this podcast is listening to those new and finding those new discoveries.
0: Got it. All right. Well, I guess I'm starting, huh? I have segment one?
2: Yes, you do.
0: All right. That's.
1: Despite um, what the intro <laughs> said. Yeah. Well,
0: we, kinda, we we had this great framework, and here's where probably advanced planning would go more into this as opposed to coming on five minutes ahead of time. But I think we did pretty well with the new, all things considered. We hit a lot of our cues. But, you know, it's as punk enthusiasts, all three of us, I believe, especially Josh, and I, we like to keep it a little bit, you know, unvarnished. And sometimes mm-hmm. it's about the missed notes are as important as the, the clean notes, right? Just,
2: just keep trucking. Like the D man.
0: <laughs> well, like like the Grateful Dead, right? And also yep. probably no one would believe in that the missed notes are as good as the uh as the clean notes as the band that I'm gonna be covering in segment one, huh? The Stooges. hmm So yeah, so that was a pretty good intro right there. We played that nicely. So we are gonna be doing the Stooges' second album, Fun House. And uh I in the montage, uh, I built in the song uh nineteen seventy in the montage and i think before this segment we're going to do down on the street the tra- uh the album opener Okay, so that was Down on the Street, the album opener of the seven-song, 36-minute 1970 album, Funhouse. As Josh mentioned, we're as much as possible going to try to go chronologically year by year in the 70s. Now, we'll have some deviation because we try to stay with artists, and sometimes they don't line up nicely, so we might veer into 71 while most of the albums are 70 and stuff like that. So um, what I'm going to do is give some very specific bullet points um because i covered a lot of the story of the stooges in our earlier episode on the stooges in season one which you can look up in our archives and while i'm going through that if one of you guys wouldn't mind looking up the specific episode that that was in i'd love to be able to doing that part. now okay perfect so i'll go into the um i'll go into the description episode here and just- 16. There we go. Episode 16, about actually pretty much halfway through last season. So episode 16, Stooges' debut album. You can find a lot of the bio. So here's some bullet points on what's going on. Josh and Matt, whenever you want to, feel free to jump in to ask questions or or pull it into a a conversation uh, as Mm -hmm. we go along. So uh, I think we talked about before the Stooges were from Detroit. And they were on the same record label and were direct contemporaries of the MC5, yet another group that we covered, in bonus episode two of the 60s. Um, One thing that's important to know, though, is that the record label both compensated the MC5 considerably higher than the Stooges. They also thought they had way more commercial and artistic (laughs) credibility. So the Stooges were sort of just basically an add-on signing, if you guys remember, at the end. Like, basically... Uh Wayne Kramer said, "Hey, you guys should look at this band." And they're like, "Oh, why not? We can sign this band for next to nothing." Okay? So, The Stooges' first album was not well received by critics and did not sell super well. And spoiler alert, the second album was also not well received by critics at the time for the most part, uh and sold even worse. Um and this album was released in a fascinating period for The Stooges because they released this album and then they broke up and went on hiatus. For a couple years before um, re re sort of configuring as the same group and releasing raw power, which we'll um, cover later, a couple years later. So this album comes out and they break up. Now, right before this album, uh, they added saxophonist Steve McKay. And there were a whole bunch of – a series of interesting events that led up to the release. So let me bullet point <laughs> a couple of these. Uh, Don, Don Gallucci of the group The Kingsmen. Okay, music trivia, guys. What famous song did The Kingsmen sing?
2: Louie Louie. Louie, Louie. You got it. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. There oh. you go. <laughs> see, see, if you didn't know Louie Louie, Matt did a great no, job explaining – And that may be a recurring segment in future episodes, by the way, John and John and Matt sing karaoke. So be prepared for that. (laughs) Also another,
1: another reason why lyrics don't matter. Right. Because they of, don't make any sense, it's still a great freaking
0: song. So eh, I, I hear you on that, but I don't know if I <laughs> totally buy into that. But anyway, Don Gallucci comes in, you guys both were all over that trivia. He gets brought in to record the album and he here's his immediate take on the Stooges. And I think it's a pretty fair one. He thinks they're a very interesting act who it's almost impossible to record on tape because they're so clearly a live act. So he's like, mm-hmm. hmm, I get the essence of this band, but it's gonna be tough on an album to get what the essence is. So His plan was to use each day of recording time to record a dozen takes of each song before picking the one that sounds the best for the album, right? In hopes of getting it. So the band came in for the first day. They sound checked. They used isolated drums and bass, you know, standard studio recording. The guitar was played separately and Iggy Pop sang through the condenser mic. And basically they thought the result was horrible. So day two, Wait, who's they, go-
1: they the Stooges or the the,
0: or the- band, the band and, and in fairness to uh, Don Gallucci, he was willing to run with it even though he didn't think it was necessarily horrible. He was willing to run oh, with okay. the Stooges idea. So what the Stooges did was they completely stripped the padding and isolators off the walls of the studio. Um, And then they recorded directly into the recording equipment. So in other words, what they did was they basically played as a band in the studio with no recording ceiling or any of the stuff that would cause the sounds to be clean right? and record easily. And basically this album was just them playing like they would play in – yeah, club, right? Exactly. Without any of the stuff to soften it. So, yep. as you can imagine, the result is basically a live performance without the fans in the record studio and a very raw, like, uh, loose sound. Which John, I, I think I, mm-hmm.
1: I, I might have heard that, like, even, like, in Iggy, in, an, or, in order to get the band amped up to play, he would still do all of his dancing, like, in the studio, to, even though there weren't any audience members or anything like that. He would still do his, like, all his antics and stuff. Yeah. Does that... Did, now, does that
0: I didn't read that, but that wouldn't surprise me because very much about the recording process of this and future albums was similar to that in terms of trying Mm. to get the authentic feel of what the the stage performances were like. And a big part of the stage performances was Iggy. And that actually goes into point two, almost as if you scripted it, Matt, because around this time, they also had a pretty infamous performance that you guys probably know about at the Cincinnati Pop Festival, where Iggy Pop leapt into the crowd, did crowd surfing, (laughs) which was still not a thing that people did, right? And smeared peanut butter all over his chest. So and they um, dropped and, him,
1: didn't they? Did not he like try to? They fall dropped or him. Yep, he, and he, like, it was, it was put on. It was put on the. <laughs> it was put
0: on. Yeah, it was put on the. Um, on the uh, TV and stuff, and they were kind of looked at as like a shock rock group, and you know, as you might imagine, trademark serious rock critics, right? Like mm-hmm. the same ones who thought you know Led Zeppelin was too derivative, and you know, blah blah blah. You know, they of course hated this. Um, these were the same people who retroactively tried to jump in on the front end of punk. You know because Great. they realized they missed the boat on this but yeah so well in the, there fans, were,
1: in the fans defense nobody knew what stage diving was so they just <laughs> saw him coming at him like what the hell is this like they, there, yeah they know what to n- do
0: now there were some some notable um critics who were ahead of the curve on the stooges a little bit lester bangs in particular you mm-hmm. know who we've talked about before he he was on the board with them and robert cristel who sometimes you know he's kind of an interesting guy because you never know what his take is yeah, going to be he, he, he actually yeah, he kind of he, – he was way more favorable to the Stooges than most contemporary music critics were. But all of the people you would think would hate the Stooges hated the Stooges, and that only, uh, that only added to it. Um, and like I said before, the album was poorly received. The band was in all, all kinds of turmoil. They um, – Their bassist, uh, last name Alexander, was too drunk to perform at the Goose Lake International Music Festival, and he got booted. They went through a series of bassists who were rotated in before finally adding their roadie, Bill Cheatham, as a second guitarist to go along with the series of bassists. Uh, But he didn't last very long. He actually was replaced shortly afterwards by James Williamson. With the exception of Ron Ashton, the entire band was deeply, deeply into heroin at this point. Um, Kind of the story that you hear most often is that the band was introduced to the drug by their manager, John Adams, no relation to the president, and uh, their performances (laughs) became pretty erratic, (laughs) sexually explicit, Mm. violent, all of those things, and their label Elektra dropped them. Um, And so in the aftermath of this deep heroin addiction, for most people, their label dropping them and the poor selling album, the band went on the hiatus and formally broke up on July 9th, 1971. Interestingly enough, and I'll give you a little bit of a gateway, (laughs) probably wrong term for folks struggling with drug addiction there, but I'll give you a gateway into where they would eventually reform Um, Iggy Pop, you know, while they're on hiatus becomes friends with as I like to describe it, fellow heroin dabbler, uh, David Bowie. <laughs> They've become <laughs> friends. Uh, and that becomes a big deal later, because David Bowie kind of looked at Iggy Pop as someone who he could run ideas by and then later david bowie um produced uh iggy pop's Mm -hmm. two solo albums Mm -hmm. um so it was like a reciprocal trade right there he also encourages uh pop to sign with the management company main man which was helmed by a gentleman by the name of tony DeFries, and that eventually leads to the stooges getting a record deal with atlantic that leads to a two album deal and the stooges second act as a band Um, And really the Stooges um, would continue to not be well-received by critics all the way up until the end of the 70s when there is like a big um, hard turn on them right around the time that punk becomes credible and I think Iggy Pop releases the albums that David Bowie does and it starts to get him – attention around 76 to 78 in that, that Berlin period for David Bowie, uh, Iggy Pop mm-hmm. is there with him in that period. Uh, and yeah. And since then the Stooges have largely been uh, well-regarded uh, here. Here are some of the folks that have listed this album that we're going to cover today, Funhouse, as one of their favorite albums. And we'll see um, if you guys know, Joey Ramone, uh, Nick Cave of Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, Steve Albini, who you may know as both a musician and a music producer, most notably for mm-hmm. Nirvana in Utero, and Jack White of The White Stripes, who calls this mm. his favorite album of all time, which is not surprising due to the Detroit connection as well mm-hmm. as how this sounds. So a little bit longer bio than I normally do. I apologize, guys, because I know I'm usually a short bio guy. Uh, Matt, why don't we start with you? What are your thoughts on this album?
1: Thank God for the Stooges, man. This is, yeah. um, I love this album, and I think I, I like it even more Given the context in which we're listening to it. I mean, this is their second record that sounds like this. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's, it's, again, it is something that sounds unlike anything else that we've covered. Um, and just knowing that, I think when we were kind of finishing up, wrapping up the sixties, we were talking about, you know, what we're looking forward to. And John, I know you mentioned punk. And then I think I might've asked something to the effect of when does punk really start? you know in this in the 70s and it was like if i'm not mistaken it was like 76 77 might have been mm-hmm. the answer but this is this is where it starts right it just right. doesn't pick up i mean these guys are years ahead of, of the um, sound
0: yes the sound is definitely right. coming from here yes yep.
1: yeah mm-hmm. and that's and, and 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 it's just and especially listen to this album compared to the other two that we're covering this week it's just, <laughs> yeah. yes. it's just, it, is, it is just in a different world right, right than, than the other two which are which are there's a lot of similarities between the two of those but um I think I, I like this better than the first Stooges albums that we covered. Album that we covered. Um, I love how it uh, starts. I like that you picked Down on the Street as the uh, mm. opening song here, John. I that love great. that song. That uh, I don't know if There's it's a method to my album, madness. Yeah. It's, it's It's just very good. Loose is a great song. TVI has got a great guitar riff. Um, you know just kind of like a blistering like in your face mm-hmm. raw guitar and then Iggy's voice just screaming all over the place on this album. It just I, it's no wonder that the critics and probably a lot of other people hated it. I mean they just probably like what is this noise you know this is not I mean Zeppelin's noise but like it's way more grounded in like blues and like melody and stuff. And this mm-hmm. is just, this is raw. Um, I loved the song dirt, the long song. I'm interested to hear your guys thoughts on that. And one of the things that I liked particularly in that song, but I also heard in other songs on here, like down on the street and "Funhouse." house. I love the bass playing in this album. Um, mm-hmm. there's, especially yes. in dirt. One of the great things, it's a long song. It doesn't do a whole lot. It's very psychedelic. Actually. They do a good job of mixing the psychedelia with the, um, with the punk rock in that song. Um, um, it's also very sleazy. That's, an, that's a word that Cherry kept saying. This song, this is very sleazy.
0: Like, oh, that's my oh, favorite it's Iggy it's, Pop word. Sleazy, it's yeah. The, it's the mm-hmm. Stooges,
2: right? Stick so... it deep inside. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, boy. Uh, but, Wait till we but do the there's... solo albums by
0: Iggy Pop. You think the lyricism here is edgy? Woo!
1: Um, but that bass line in Dirt, it's just, it's melodic. It's like a walking, you know, he doesn't have to do that. It can be just a straight ahead bass line, but he's like doing those do 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 mm-hmm. And it's just that walking bass line throughout it. I just, I really, really like um, i i definitely like the first side better than the second side um i the saxophone part is interesting but by the time you get to la blues it's like that's just a bunch of noise and i think you might as well just skip over that last track but um but i like how they incorporate a little bit at the end of 1970 and fun Funhouse house is just a mess of a song but it's um but it all works together somehow and um uh Couple of interesting things with the production, like I I I I don't know if there's they it sounds like they did some sort of different production between the first two songs and like TVI because TVI seems like it's much it's less crisp it's it's mm-hmm. it's like it's it's almost like if you're listening to it and you've got it at a certain volume for the first two songs and then the next and then TVI comes on and it's like why who turned the volume down right well yeah, I know, so nobody I know turned can I, the production on that so that was interesting.
0: I, Can I add one thing really interesting about that song, TVI, guys, that I Mm -hmm. found from it? So there is a cover of TVI, which I had to search out, which was fascinating. There was a glam rock film called Velvet Goldmine, okay? Oh, yeah, it's a Todd movie. You got it. And it's Ron Ashton from the Stooges, who plays the bass, Matt, which you notice. And the band is him, the members of Sonic Youth, and Ewan McGregor on vocals playing that song. Mm -hmm. So if you want a deep, deep cut of that song, there you go. I
1: thought Ashton played the guitar wasn't the other guy was Well the, yeah, uh, he
0: uh, sorry, the, he plays the guitar. I apologize. Dave William Alec- Willi- yeah. Williamson was the bassist. Yep. No, who on got this
1: out? Dave Alexander, the guy who got kicked out on this Oh, song, you're
0: right. right. It's Dave Alexander. I'm sorry. Yeah, you're 100% right, Matt. I'm sorry. I don't know where I was at. But it's the two Ashtons, Ron and Scott Ashton. Are and, the, Scott the the yep. drummer, and
1: Scott is the drummer. Scott right. is the drummer. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Any yeah, anyway, uh this is this is a great album um and I I I I think initially I didn't like all that noise and kind of the the messiness at the at the and uh, the second side of the album, but the more I listened to it, the more I liked it. And um, yeah, this it's uh, yeah, what a great band, great band.
2: Nice. I I agree with you. I was big on the first Stooges album, and I am I think more positive on this album. It is such a I believe they are showing progression as as a band. Um, well, <laughs> unfortunately, they broke up, but I think they're showing, um, you know, growth from the first album. And you just see there's so many things in this album that presage other bands. You've got, like, all of Iggy Pop's, like, guttural yells and and just movements on you know, verbal movements, I guess, on the, on the lyrics, you know, in between singing actual lyrics, he's yelling and doing different things. You've got some really good guitar riffs at the beginnings and during the songs. And you've got, I also noticed the bass a lot on this album and, and the drums as well. And, and also the introduction of the horns, which I caught me off guard the first time I heard it. But I did like it more the more I listened to it. It's a, I don't know. It's kind of like a, a right turn to throw a horn into the mix of an album like this. But that was the design. Know, but, yeah. Well,
1: it's like <laughs> sure. a, it's like a freeform jazz kind and of thing. That's that what he's it becomes at like the end. It's like they just threw Eric Dolphy in there or something. Yeah. You know, that's
2: he goes crazy. Well, if
0: you remember, they loved that jazz when we talked yeah. about that mm-hmm. episode before. That was what Iggy Pop considered to be a huge influence on them. Was like that experimental jazz of the mid 60s so you're not far from the truth there they nailed it here so yeah
2: (laughs) Yeah. i mean yeah they're they're definitely trying something different on that back half with with the horns and and going into la blues la blues is a bit too cacophonous for me Mm. not in like a, a velvet underground sort of way but just too too much, but It's I almost also,
1: five minutes too, right? Yeah. So it's also pretty long for that to Dirt, sustain that. Getting
2: to your question, Matt, I thought Dirt was a little bit too long, but I did enjoy kind of the vibe of it. Um, it also, the other artists that came to mind listening to this album, so that opening riff of TVI sounds a lot like Rage Against the Machine, I think one of it's, their songs.
0: It's funny that you mentioned that because actually Rage covers... It's one of the first things I think of is that Renegades album by Rage mm-hmm. Against the Machine. Like, this album, by the way, is covered like by... a. That's the first thing when I was listening to this. I was like, oh, God, every album, song on this has been covered by another band I know. But yep. the Down on the Street, I don't know how well you guys know that album, but the Rage Against the Machine covers uh, that on Renegades.
2: Okay. That's such
1: a great song. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yep. And then
2: also on Dirt, I, I just you know we've seen the yeah, yeah, Yeahs live and karen o is like the female iggy <laughs> pop she kind of makes the same sort of noises and and sings the same way that that iggy pop does on this album and uh, hmm. you know i love karen o and i love the aes so that's that's high praise but yeah this is this is a great album i just love how you know i'm so glad we're doing it right at the seven at the beginning with two other albums that came out the same year, like Matt said, it's hard to believe that these all three yeah. were in 1970 because this sounds so much ahead of its time. It is very raw, so I could understand why you might not like this album. Um, and some of the songs are a little too long for my liking. And there's no, there's no big, uh, you know, as we said on the first album, there's no big lyrical uh, complexity or anything. It's it's often him repeating the same lyrics different ways or you know it's kind of a one core one different um two one or two different verses that are repeated on and on so I could also understand why there's not enough here for you on that front but from a purely like guitar like sexual energy just aggressive aggro energy level it's it's really great and I, I can't wait to hear you know his his other stuff as well and this dude just when they reunite
0: well and and my take is you definitely and you guys tied this to punk and it's definitely looked at as the beginning of punk, not incorrectly either, but to me this is even more the beginning of what I consider to be like noise rock and art rock. Um mm-hmm. is is very much what this is. And you know, you you name drop the Velvet Underground, Josh, and this is sort of like a the next step of the Velvet Underground to some yeah. degree to me, a little bit. This is what this you know um the, the rawness of this and the noise and the abrasiveness is an element of what the punk is, albeit the punk tied it up and made it quicker and faster. Um, this owes a lot to what would eventually become My Bloody Valentine and Sonic Youth. And it's not surprisingly, all of those bands covered the Stooges. <laughs> and you can see why, because mm-hmm. you said it goes long and that's what noise rock is, right? right. Like five to six minute stuff. Um, what the Stooges do is they bring sort of that raw, energy that The Doors had, but it totally, like, if Jim Morrison is, like, a, you know, like, somebody who represents, like, a very attractive version that it's, like, you might, you know what I mean? You might lose yourself a little bit, but in a way that's pleasant. Like, Iggy Pop is, like, a, like, a a bad, like, hookup. You know what I mean? It's just, like, version. just just, yeah, just, like, sleazy. His lyrics, like you said, they're repetitive, but they're repetitive in... I think I read some that they're like Iggy pop's lyrics are like, you know, having like a drunken hookup. That's like a four minute, like aggressive, nat, ugly hook. You know what I mean? Like and there's truth to that. And like, I was laughing, but like, when, like, this is the beginning of these just very explicit, Lyrics that he would use later in the Stooges albums and certainly I mean we're gonna get to like, you know The idiot later where you've got like lyrics like sweet 16 with your leather boots, you know body and soul, you know, like it's just whoa Okay, that's a little bit jarring Um, Yeah, that there's that there's really good guitar parts in this album. They're not overly complex, but they work perfectly they like they like hit you over the head because they're played in conjunction with the bass and the drums are just thudding. Um, and it, it sounds like it would be too much, but it, it somehow works because it, it's you experience it as like a visceral um, music listening experience, which I think you know, just there was a lot of pretty rock being made in 1970. There was a lot of um, looser free form rock going on. There wasn't a lot of stuff like this that was just hitting something under it was almost Mm -hmm. like showing you what was to come in the 70s that unsettled sort of rawer ethic and the stooges sort of got there before the rest of the decade got there um and that's how i look at this album this album is like a preview of like you want to know what the 70s are going to start to sound like across all genres for the most part here you go so um And and that's sort of my takeaway. I really enjoyed this album. I enjoyed it more than, the, even though my two favorite Stooges songs we've covered so far are both on the first Stooges album, the depth of this album is stronger. And so I think this is a little bit of a stronger album. So
1: what about, um, did, did the, uh, the the length of Dirt or uh, Funhouse uh, did, uh, no. you know, bother you at all, John? No?
0: No, because I, I, I um I got what they were going for. And like I, I, we've talked before, Matt, about how there's just certain music I feel like viscerally in my guts. And mm-hmm. if you're gonna play me a long song, I gotta feel it in my my guts, you know. And for me, I gotta feel it like in a certain way. And and the Stooges kind of hit me in that way. And mm-hmm. the fact that it's only a 39 minute album also helps because right. even though those songs are long, the album itself is not overwhelmingly long. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. And this album, by the way, if you're looking for covers, I mentioned that Random Sonic Youth one, the Rage Against the Machine one. For those that know the the punk group The Damned, uh, their debut album has I Feel Alright as a cover, which is an awesome cover of it. Um, I also immediately recognized like Depeche Mode covers Dirt. So it's like as you're listening to this, yeah. it's like one song I'm aware of from other albums to begin with. And that's without even looking at my research. Like I was like, oh, okay, recognize that. I recognize this. And I ended up looking and, and the, this album's been just covered by yeah. a jillion people. Not to mention how many like video games and stuff it's been in as well. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, got, I gotta say
1: too, for the amount of times that he says at the end of Funhouse, or there's it 1970? I feel all right. I feel he doesn't mm-hmm. sound all right. He actually sounds <laughs> no. quite the opposite. So. Well, the,
0: that's <laughs> the, that's what the album the the song is not about feeling all right. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like when somebody who's drunk or high keeps telling you over and over again, you know, I'm all right, I'm, I'm all. Good, that's what that's that's what that, that's what that keys, song fine, is. Basically, yeah. 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 That's what that song basically is. You know, just like how Funhouse, like you could probably guess what Funhouse is about. Yeah. You know, well, yeah. I think
1: it's I think it's important since we're doing these albums. Um, in in chronological order it's we making sure that we get the uh, mm-hmm. the, the ranking in there this is ranked 48 oh, right. in the 1970s and 9 in the ni- in the year 1970
0: um, Yeah you're going to so be our guy right for in that the this season. Yeah.
1: Yep, So we're right in the middle. 202 overall. So this is almost in the top wow. 200. I mean I okay. think if I I think I, I always look at the Rolling Stone uh top 500 yeah. as well. Mm-hmm. I think this is this is like 87 I uh-huh. think um and so this was pretty
0: highly rig- this is
1: top 100 in the in the Rolling Stone out uh
0: list as well Well, so and a lot of the voters for that are musicians and musicians love this album and love the stooges in general uh you want to hear another remarkable stat before i kick it to you matt to do your segment sure you know how many copies of this album were sold through march 2000 march 2000 so 20 so basically 21 years ago pretty much exactly so still in the album buying era right I, i i'd say it's under a million Eighty-nine thousand.
2: Oh, that's it. <laughs> that's it. Oh
0: my how about God. how remarkable is that? Now I, yeah. So, if that's, what's that line about right. the Velvet Underground <laughs> that it sold so few albums, but all of them started a band? That's yeah. even more remarkable. Yeah, that eighty-nine thousand copies of this album. As uh, the the link for that was um, an article written in 2000 that looked at it so remarkable pretty remarkable but a very good album i think all of us agree this is one you should listen to it might not be for you but you should listen to it just to say you did Support
2: the artists that you like, also by their albums, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. or or, th- or individual singles one by one, and whatever. <laughs> or yeah, or just free.
1: listen to Spotify like fifty thousand times
0: so they can get five bucks, yeah. which is probably what they made on those eighty nine yeah, thousand dollars. Exactly. But I think on Spotify. Well, Matt, going in a totally different direction. Let's you, talk you, about the dead. You're not kidding. All right. Before I get into this, guys, let's
1: do a little let's do a little free association here. Mm. Activate oh. prior knowledge. When I when someone mentions to you the Grateful Dead, what are the images, the ideas that come to your mind, Josh? We'll start with you.
2: Dirty hippies who follow the band around.
1: Yep. Yeah.
2: The music drugs.
1: that <laughs> drugs. Yeah. Uh-huh.
0: John.
2: The the music by Osmosis, I
0: probably heard more between the ages of 14 and 17 right. than almost any other band in my tie-dye and hippie loving high school. That's right, John. Were your uh, did you hear more
1: fish or the dead? Were the, were the your friends uh, you at your high school more into one than the other? Y-
0: yes. <laughs> is that the answer the question. There? No, both a lot, both a lot. Gotcha.
1: It's That's one
0: good. and the same, right? You know what I mean. That the Venn diagram of fish yeah. lovers and Grateful Dead lovers is like a circle.
1: Well, I, yeah. Well, I have to say, I am I am a fish lover, um, and mm. I am a, a Grateful Dead like
0: Sabin, uh, trout, or other. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs>
2: or or redfish,
1: Swedish <laughs> fish. I, I I like all kinds of fish. uh, uh but I, I would say with the dead, I'm kind of I I going into this, I'm at least uh, neutral. So, but in the opening montage, uh, John, uh, we we had we heard uh, Sugar Magnolia, mm-hmm. and now we're gonna hear a clip from Ripple. You
2: choose to lead, must follow. But if. You fall, you fall alone If you should stand Then who's to guide you If I knew the way I would take you home la da da, da. la da, da, da.
1: So the Grateful Dead, yes, those things that you guys had mentioned are. are, are I have the, other ones too. But. Oh, uh, oh yeah, go ahead, Josh. What else you got?
2: <laughs> really long songs. Yep, yeah, I lot. was going to say that blues and driven like, is band another band one during. for me. Yeah, and like uh, you know bootlegs, like the studio, yeah, not capturing the yep. the true essence of the band.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yep. No, I also those...
2: always remember
0: that Jerry Garcia, I think, is has uh, less than five fingers right yeah he's if missing I correctly he's on two his, of them right on,
1: on his strumming i think it's just one on his strumming hand okay. um it's his i think it's his middle finger he's missing mm-hmm. not the whole finger he's got he's basically up to the first knuckle and he, so yeah. he's missing the the second half of that finger um but, okay. He doesn't need that. To, he holds the pick with the other, with the thumb and the and the forefinger. So he that didn't really bother him. But um, mm-hmm. anyway, so the Grateful Dead. This is the only album that we're covering proper. I think we're going to do a um, an album through uh, a, a bonus episode. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is their fifth studio album, American Beauty, and this is um it's 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 widely regarded as their best album. It's also very not. Um, indicative of what the Grateful Dead is known for, which is mostly their no. live shows, right? So their live shows right. are certainly very jammy. They go, they're long, they're improv. Um, they don't, their set lists. I, I've always found this interesting Interesting about this type of band. This is what Fish does as well, which is their set lists are not predetermined. It's all, they just draw from the songs in the moment. So every show is its own thing. And that's where the fans really started um you know sharing those tapes right they would they would uh, they would allow the fans to come in with all kinds of recording material fans would record it tape it pass it along and that's mm-hmm. how the that's how people would listen to their music and that became the scene and that's part of the, what the grateful dead is they as much about the music maybe even more so the, the, the grateful dead is a lifestyle right this is right. and this is one of the things that i've always found very interesting about fish because it's very similar with them as well but this is where it started um and the other thing that i would say that the dead are very much responsible for is the um is is the concert atmosphere right so and, and, and things like um not just the show and people traveling, but like the, the shakedown street, like the area that all the merch happens, right? People just selling their grilled cheese sandwiches and their, mm. and their drugs and their shirts and all that, and the, and the hours that people spend in the parking lot, you know, leading up to a show. Um, And, uh, and that's very much what the, the spirit of like shows that, you know, festivals that came around later on like Bonnaroo and, you know, and uh, you know, Burning Man and Coachella and stuff like that, that that's, you know it's, it's, it's the scene, right? And that's, um and that's really what the Grateful Dead kind of started. Um, Um, And and really made unique to themselves. So a little history about the band. Uh, It actually started off as a bluegrass band. Jerry Garcia first started playing the banjo. He was very much into bluegrass music. And he started a band called Mother McCree's Uptown Jug Band. Um, which Josh, I did not oh. find any mention of actually somebody playing a jug in yeah. that. I don't, I don't know. If how about was. an electric jug? I'm sure it was not an electric jug. It was mm. a traditional bluegrass type band, um, and they did that. You know, they became very, you know, very good with their instruments. But it also bothered Garcia because he didn't like how, it, how everything was so technical and constricted. He wanted to actually explore different things and have a little bit more freedom. To play what he wants to do that mm-hmm. improvisation, and so they started a um, electric band. They picked up electric guitars and um, changed their name to the Warlocks. And here's a CTS trivia: What other band there had the first name of the Warlocks? Josh might sh- should be the one. Yeah, that it's a band those. I covered. It it's, is. Yes. Dang it!
2: It is. And we've mentioned
1: them today. We've already talked about them. In fact, in the last segment
2: man i heard
0: that the doors uh who else did josh mention led zeppelin nope
1: is mm. it the the velvet underground oh the warlocks wow. yep okay. so they uh so they knew that so they changed their name and they became the grateful dead because they were just sitting around and jerry garcia opened up a dictionary pointed his finger at the first thing he saw and it was grateful dead and can i thought, share one thing real quick man
0: yeah sure There's just certain bands that we've covered in the 60s that I I joke around a lot where certain songs i hear from the 80s or 90s i hear the video in the background when like i hear the song right mm-hmm. and there's certain bands we covered where like when i hear their name i feel like i want to play a song clip for them and yeah. every time i hear the velvet underground i think of like sunday morning for yep. some reason that's <laughs> like it's so i almost feel like there's certain groups that we're going to start referencing well with throw that. it in but there continue. josh yeah um, the, the, the yeah. josh should throw yeah. it in there yeah i
1: can um. Go. So, uh, so yeah, so they, uh, they became the Grateful Dead. And, um, well, I should go over the band members. that's You have Jerry Garcia and Bob Weir, both guitar players, and they, they also sing. Phil Lesh is on bass and mm-hmm. also some vocals. And they are the three primary songwriters in the band. You also have Ron, Pigpen, McKern, <laughs> McKernan, um, and Pigpen. Named for nice. the
0: future fans. Is that... <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah he kind of he looked a lot like the fans as well um but he played a variety of instruments including the keyboards percussion and harmonica uh you and you have two drummers there's two percussions actually the first oh, drummer right. uh bill krutzman uh was the original was started originally with a band and then a couple years later in 1967 mickey hart joined um and so they had two percussionists and so that was that was the core of the band um they 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 did get other members coming in later on, but this is basically the band that we're hearing in this record here. Um, And they, they really cut their teeth playing it at acid tests. So there comes the drugs, right? So they would do these acid tests in San Francisco area, the Bay area where they were from. And uh, the people would go mostly for the drugs, but, um, but the band also played during at at these events. And that's where they, they would take the acid (laughs) and they would really, focus on they were able to really kind of learn to play off each other in those types of shows Um, and that's go for the
0: drugs Stay for the fifteen-minute songs.
1: <laughs> Stay for the fifteen-minute songs. That's right. So they, um, so that's where they uh, they started out, and they, yeah, they wanted to play a lot of live shows. They were very much Jerry Garcia was very much about having fun, right? So they weren't terribly interested in making money or promoting themselves or you know any any type of thing like that at all. They just, they and they wanted to be ones with the fans. You'll see old mm-hmm. videos of them playing, you know, you know, shows in those '60s, and they're just kind of standing around. There's not really much of a stage, yeah. and people are just kind of hanging out like, in Hate ashbury or wherever they're playing so um, you know G- Garcia viewed this as music for everybody and he's just one of them and he just happens to be he just happens to be playing it um, so they did get a record contract I don't know how <laughs> but they did um, Warner Brothers signed them they, 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 because they, they, they realized that they were a popular band and thought that let's get them in the studio so they get them in the studio, and the band is just they they have never seen this equipment before. They're not like any technical engineers with you know music or anything like that. So they just end up doing a bunch of drugs, taking laughing gas, they're playing around with all the stuff, and they're not really making any music <laughs> you, at all. And they're running up feel, the costs and all this well,
0: stuff. because they they were formed in the '60s. Like, are there—is there ever going to be a decade where more random? They were signed to an album store. Like, I feel like by the time the like mid '70s hit, you couldn't get signed by. Yeah that way or like what was it um frank zappa when they went to the wrong show you know what i mean (laughs) and thought he was the jazz (laughs) and like there's just the 13th floor elevators right where they barely could like record because they were like they, they would perform when they were on lsd and somebody decided to take a flyer i feel like that's just a continuation of the 60s theme huh
1: Yeah, they they yeah. I don't think they do that anymore. (laughs) Um, So uh, so yeah. So they um, so they're running up the bills. Um, The record company actually wants a movie to be made about them, and so they hire this film crew to follow them around. But the film crew starts getting into the drugs as well, and because (laughs) because they weren't as experienced with the LSD, they could not film, and they just couldn't do their jobs well. So the film (laughs) ended up getting scrapped because it was just a bunch of they just kept doing hanging out and doing drugs, you know. so uh so yeah so this was the dead for the first couple of years um and they started to develop uh, more of a following um but they um but they did realize that it didn't take them too long to realize they were in debt and they owed, owed a lot of money <laughs> and so they figured well maybe it's time for us to actually do a regular record right and that's what not just this album but a couple months before this album was released they did another album called working man's dead and that's actually the other album that we're going to be covering when we do the bonus episodes so both of these records are they they wanted to go into the studio and prove to themselves that we if we focus on actually writing the songs and like you know harmonies and melodies and stuff like that we can we can write a pretty good album and that's what you got with this um so there's there are those those lush harmonies you have relatively short songs i mean i think that they're kind of on the yeah. longer side of things around the five minute marks but you're not there's no jamming here that's a very straightforward record right. very um country uh country blues um bluegrass you know stuff like that um actually i would probably go back and say as we were talking in one of our last episodes about What, you know, Graham Parsons and the Birds and Burrito Brothers and what country rock really is. This is more to me what, you know, that fusion of country and rock, Mm -hmm. um, you know, much more so than what Graham Parsons was doing. So um, and uh, yeah, so this was the this was the album that they came up with. The Harmonies, Uh, Krautsman uh, thought that the uh, that the Harmonies really came uh from the inspiration of actually crosby stills and nash and um although crosby later on refuted that saying they knew how to harmonize before us they actually just you know they you know we we did hang out with them a lot but they kind of they knew what they were doing already um they just had to actually you know focus in and do it so um so i think i think i can stop right there but that's essentially what you're getting with this record uh like i said it is their their you know their highest ranked record and i think i know how well, I don't, I don't know how John feels about this. Um, why don't we... Who do I want to start with? Let's start with... Uh, yeah, John, we'll start with you. What do you think of uh, American Beauty by The Grateful Dead? I,
0: I think my first thought was, I was like, wow, we're doing two Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young albums because it's amazing how <laughs> mm-hmm. much this sounds like a... Crosby, Stills, and Nash, or Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young. Probably more Crosby, Stills, and Nash, to be quite honest. Because yeah, the Young part is what's different. Well, I won't yeah. get ahead of that, but right. th- that's kind of what it is. But uh, And I'm, I'm almost certain they ran in similar circles, would be my guess. Um, knowing David Crosby's lifestyle and knowing The Grateful Dead's lifestyle, I can't help but think that they either ran across each other in a sex mansion or something like that along the way. But mm-hmm. uh, um, I – it was, it was, this was not a bad album. Um, I, I can't say I love it because I always think of the Grateful Dead are hookless for me. And yeah, so to we- me, to me, if you're going to be hookless, I need it to be a really interesting song if you're going to be doing it over and over again. And I think after, and and you know, I mentioned before that the birds are kind of hookless at times, but I, I kind of was picking up what they were putting down a little bit more than the Grateful Dead. Now, with that being said... The blues-driven rock and the guitar playing um, was solid. And uh, as much like with Fish, when I listen to their studio albums, even though you know hardcore F- Fish and Grateful Dead fans would hate me for saying this, including those that are friends with me, so I apologize to those that may be listening. But um, I do like their albums more than I like the live experience um, because it refines what mm-hmm. I like, what what's good about them, and cuts out a lot of the excess which i do not connect as much with so um you know i'll expand on that down the road but i think it's a it's a good blues album guitar album it's very much a continuation of what like a crosby stills nash uh were doing as well as even like what simon and garfunkel were doing a little bit um in terms of the harmonies um i know not universally across all their albums but this one um seemed to capture that yeah. so so uh i i I did. I, if you thought I was going to say I hate this album, I did not hate this album. That's um, why. That's why I, I, that's was, why
1: I hesitated because it's not yeah. a. It's not a traditional. Yeah. It's not a jam band album.
0: Right? Yeah, this actually marks the first time I've ever heard the. Al- I've heard songs on this album like trucking oh, sure. and stuff before, mm-hmm. but I haven't heard the whole album uh, and. Uh, a couple of the other songs but I haven't heard this whole album in total and I haven't heard Working Man's Dead entirely either so I'll be interested to do that but yeah I it was it was certainly pleasant enough and I would say right in the middle um in terms of how I feel about it
1: all right and just to say yeah I cuz I I didn't pick any of the or you didn't pick the um the the big songs from this but this mm-hmm. has uh, Friend of the Devil and Truckin yeah. and Truckin yeah. was their Truckin was their biggest hit until um they did touch of gray in the 80s Mm -hmm. and that one actually i think that one cracked the top 10. (laughs) which sounds Um,
0: nothing like the grateful dead of the rest of uh the period as every grateful dead fan on earth will make sure to let you know
1: well Um, on working men's dead you've got like casey casey jones is on that that's That's what i always think casey Um, jones is the second i think of that as their yeah yeah there's another um big hit on that as well but uh yeah so
2: um josh what about you yeah i'm so glad you did that free association because I have a lot of those words written down. Lifestyle, (laughs) legacy, culture, you know, things like that. So it was hard. It was, that was one of the big things about the Grateful Dead. It's hard for me to separate those thoughts with the actual music. And I'm glad we listened to this album because I didn't hate this album. I thought it was pretty solid actually. Now, if, the live shows are nothing like this. I'm probably going to hate the live shows if they, you know, if I ever saw a Grateful Dead show or went back in time or whatever. Well, they play a
1: lot of these songs in the live shows. That's the thing. You know, yeah, but this, this they is stretch still them out. <laughs> but they stretch oh, them yeah. out 17 <laughs> yeah. more minutes. Yes. That's, the, that's the difference. Yes, they yeah. do. Yes. If you and hear that, Josh, in, and you're like,
0: it. sounds awesome, then you'll like it. If you hear that and you're like, ugh, yeah. then yeah, there you go.
1: And, John, yeah. it's not like that when they stretch it out, it's not like they're throwing those hooks in at those times. You know what I mean? Right? No, it's the opposite. Yeah, right. They can and, play
0: the same guitar riff for six minutes. Is what I the first thing I've always noticed about the Grateful Dead—that their their um, commitment to one note is amazing.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and and I liked it because they clearly have talent, right? I loved the the harmonize, harmonizing is really mm-hmm. good. It's it's yeah. it's um, good that they have you know three musicians who can harmonize. You know not. Mm-hmm one band can hardly have one musician that can sing sometimes. So it's nice that they have all three. And I think they, on this album, some of them take lead on different songs, which yep. kind of mixes it up. And I appreciate that. Um, I like all of the um, guitar that they throw in. They It feels like they play different types of guitar and they kind of jam on guitar harder than you would think at times. Like I, I noticed that in trucking, they do that and, and there's some different, um, uh, other songs that do that as well Uh, like friend of the devil has multiple guitars on it and so they they have this interesting blend of of the country like you said some folky like bluegrass playing and uh, and a little bit of rock thrown in and I think they have this they also have this kind of signature sound where they do like a really fast twangy guitar or something in the background I heard it on Sugar Magnolia and that whatever that sound is it's hard for I me it's to probably describe. a
1: slide it's probably a slide guitar because i there, think, that's they use that a lot yeah yep. and,
2: mm-hmm. and that will come up a little bit later in my segment but mm-hmm. i think um i think i must associate that sound with the grateful dead as well because i picked up that was like a you know it was kind of like a i don't know a touchstone for me when i was listening to it mm-hmm. and um you know and they throw piano in songs too which is nice uh broke down and broke down palace they did that And the other thing I liked was that they just, well, let me see. Let me, let me back up. I think I liked like every other song on this album. It seemed like there was Mm -hmm. something that resonated with me on one thing. And then the next one I didn't like as much. I liked kind of the faster paced songs. No surprise. I didn't like the ballady ones as much, but I think my favorite song is actually Ripple, which kind yeah. of contradicts that narrative. Um, but it's just kind of a beautiful, a nice little beautiful song. Now, I couldn't, you know, if they played it for 20 minutes, probably hate it, but it's nice on here. And, and Truckin' is just kind of a nice, uh, upbeat, jaunty, like, fun song. And you just want to, even though there's no hook, I mean, there is kind of a hook in that song, but... you you just want to keep singing it so i was i was pleasantly surprised i guess i hadn't really heard a lot of grateful dead just knowing them by reputation and knowing casey jones and whatever other one song they throw on the radio when they whenever they play classic rock stuff but it was nice hearing them like concise condensed on an album like this so you know kind of tentative positive vibes from this album for me
1: okay all right I suppose that's as, that's as good as I'm going to get from yeah. you guys, so I'll take <laughs> yeah. it. Um, I, I would – and I didn't I, – I knew some – I knew, obviously uh, – I think I knew Boxer Rain, Friend of the Devil, and Truckin', really. Um, and I had – I do have a couple of, like, live albums that I'd like to listen to here and there, so I knew some of this. maybe some of the other stuff uh, has come across my – Um, I played it at one time or another, um, but I certainly didn't really know this album going into this. I got a guy who can help
0: you with that, by the way. (laughs) I'm sure. (laughs) Yes.
1: Um, I love this record and, and if this was if this came out a year earlier this would have cracked my top 10 of the 60s uh, the, yeah, I, wow. the, okay. yeah this is great this is not just surprising right though it does this seem kind of right up your alley it, yep. it's so good and it's and, and I, you're right John I didn't I'd never thought of that but you're, there, there aren't really hooks here um, and I usually like hooks but I just think that this is done so well I think that there's still really strong songwriting I think the sound of everything the production is really good I think they're really doing an excellent job of melding that country and there Bluegrass in here too, Josh. Mm-hmm. You're talking about like Friend of the Devil. There's mandolin in there, yeah. right? You know, th- yep. that's a very, you know, bluegrassy sound. Um, the harmonies, even though I love Fish, I will never say, oh, they're really good singers and they harmonize really well. Part of the joke about Fish is they when they, they harmonize, it's kind of like, yeah, you know, it's not very good. And they kind of know <laughs> that too, but that's everybody's kind of. I always thought it, Fish know.
0: was like, if you took the Grateful Dead and took out all the stuff that the Grateful Dead was good at. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and, and, I, and, and Fish never did an album like this to my, you know what I mean like no 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 so this is like yeah i mean it's exactly what it what it is for people like you guys who really don't aren't into the scene the jam band stuff like whatever um it shows that they were more than capable of 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 crafting just a really Mm -hmm. really good album um i like i love the fast songs i love the slow songs ripple is my favorite song in this record and then it goes right down to broke down palace which just is, is a beautiful beautiful song um You know in the end of ripples kind of like it's all. i could see that song going on longer because that's something i could see building even more than it does because Mm. they throw in the chorus of people coming in it's almost like an old spiritual where you're going to get more people kind of all singing together along with that and i really i think it's just a beautiful melody um but it starts off and you and you picked up on something josh it's very true you have a lot of different um vocalists and the first four songs the lead vocalist is is somebody different Um, yeah you know you start off phil lesh does box of rain um Friend of the Devil is Jerry Garcia, Sugar Magnolia is Bob Weir, and Operator is Pigpen. He gets the he gets a, a nice. rare uh, vocal there, um, and they were all part of. I think they were all the main songwriters, and so they kind of did the Beatles thing there, with the main songwriter took the took the um, took the lead vocals, but. Um, It's just a, it's a fun record. It's a very pretty record. Um, it's, it's, it's on the, it's like around 45 minutes, I think. And, um, the more I listened to it, the more uh, I I liked it. It does have a little bit of same equality. I think that's something that Sherry said that she liked, but it all kind of just blends together. Mm. And I think I want, I'm going to bring that that up as that. I want to talk more about sameness, maybe in a future episode about, um, about, uh, the the essential question, but mm. okay. Yeah. But, um, what? What? Go ahead, John. If you have. Well, something I was going to
0: say it's. It actually one of my. So, my my hot take on the Grateful Dead has always been that I've appreciated their guitar playing always, and I and their singing. Um, mm. So as musicians, I've I as much as I joke, right? I've never um, thought they were not. Good musicians I think for me the structure of the songs was always a challenge for me because there were no hooks ever and that's one thing I noticed I'm surprised you guys are like oh how about because that, that to me that's like a function of that's why touch of gray is hilarious because it's like the total opposite like a three and a half minute song with a strong hook right mm-hmm. in it um, but Uh, I I also, the funny thing is one of the things I liked about this album is I've really only ever heard these songs as seemingly 93 minute songs. (laughs) Like Ripple, I, I was like what This song's four minutes and eight seconds. I'm used to hearing this song go on for 16 minutes. And I'm not kidding either. Like that's, because like you said, it's like a yeah. spiritual and they play it as such, right? So when I think of like Ripple, I think of like a 12 minute version of it, not yeah. a lean four minute and eight second version. And I can tell you for me, the four minute, eight second version of Ripple, the five minute, seven second sec- uh version of Truckin', the three minute and 20 seconds sugar magnolia which was stunning (laughs) once again a song i never could have imagined would be three minutes and 20 seconds that really added to these songs because then the lack of the hook was not a problem it's when you get that playing of the same part for six minutes on those songs that the lack of hook is a problem for me, right. if that makes sense, and and, and that's under- when it beca- that's when it becomes samey for well,
1: me, and it's very understandable, and that's like that that is the the knock on not just the dead, but this this genre really and jam bands in general, right? Um, but uh, but yeah, I as as somebody that um. Really appreciates it, and especially like I mean I I, I have never saw the dead, but I, I have seen Fish multiple times, and I love it, man. I love the shows, and it's like uh, you know, and it, it's, it's and I kind of stick out because I'm just, I, I, I like to see, think of myself as slightly less or maybe significantly less of a dirty hippie than a lot of the people that you see at those shows. Um, but uh, but it's a fun experience, and I gotta say it's one of the cool things that I appreciate about that, and it also takes something away a little bit for me for other shows because most other bands play the same set list. Like if you go to see a band and you look and you and you want to know what they're gonna play, you can pretty much look up the set list, what they did the last couple of nights, and it's gonna be mm-hmm. the same thing, right? Mm-hmm. And maybe sometimes that's okay because you want predictability. People want to hear the songs that they really like and you maybe get excited about you know seeing what they're gonna play. But there's something about just going to a show and everything is its own unique experience, you know, and, and and say what you want about the drugs and the scene and everything like that. It's just as a music fan of just what are they gonna do? It's like it's, it's it you know that event is its own unique thing. And I I think that that's certainly something that um, I wish more bands would do: is try to well, just draw more stuff instead of doing the same set list every night. You know. Yeah, is, I agree. You know, and that Bored Garcia, and he's like, "I'm not doing that. I want to." And, and they would, he would just look on the crowd and be like, "All right, we're going to play this and that." And it was just like it was in the moment, and I and, yeah. I love that. I, I, I yeah. always
0: uh, Pearl Jam's another band that kind of takes a little bit of that yeah, right yeah, same yeah, thing and yeah, do. even yes. done, but uh, I, I but obviously in a different way too. But I I will say I always while. While not ever wanting to be a part of it, I always appreciated <laughs> the pureness of heart of the Grateful Dead scene. And there's something very novel about Jerry Garcia being one of the few artists who, you know, they're always fascinating me. The Grateful Dead because they had this huge commercial presence while also. I always got the feeling that other people made more money off of the commercial juggernaut of The Grateful oh, Dead. Yeah. You know? It's not like Kiss, right? The other band I think of with the huge commercial presence, they got as much money as they possibly could, right? The Grateful Dead are like the only other band I think of with that big a, you know, marketing presence, I guess, mm-hmm. and brand, but that... um you get the feeling that they were getting one of every hundred dollars as opposed yeah. to 50 of every hundred. Yeah, yeah. They
1: are the opposite of kiss in just about every single, every yeah. single, <laughs> single <laughs> And I don't
0: mean to roll them. To, I just was thinking like <laughs> bands that have like a brand and you can yeah. get something of everything, you
2: know? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 They are They are authentic for sure. Right. Yeah. Grateful. Yeah. Man.
1: And I, yeah, that's probably the thing that I appreciate the most about, about that, um, that, that type of that genre, I guess it's its own genre really. Mm. Um, so, uh, so yeah, they, uh, just to finish up, they were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame a year before Jerry Garcia's death. Um, they, they were inducted mm. in 94. Jerry Garcia did die in 95, in August of 95. He was... It's a very sad. I actually watched a documentary on them. It's on. Um, it's a six-parter. So. Oh yeah, the, the long,
2: long strange trip.
1: Yeah, they don't even do documentary short. They <laughs> do those long too. So, uh, so it's a six-parter, but it's very cool. And um, I didn't know really anything about Jerry Garcia or their story at all before this week. And I really did like that. I really found Jerry Garcia to be a very um, likable person, but mm-hmm. just also a very sad figure because he's one of these, you know, for he just he just. Played constantly, right? He when the dead yeah. took a hiatus, he would play with his band. He took drugs. He wasn't healthy at all. Um, he and, strikes uh, he, me as a
0: huge hedonist.
1: Yeah, and he, well, and he, but he also felt the weight of everything. He felt that okay. you know he he could, well first of all he was like when they would go on tour he couldn't come out of his hotel like the other band members could if he left the hotel it would be like Beatlemania type of the thing uh, he could, yeah. just couldn't go anywhere hmm. and he also like felt bad people told him that he should take a break but he was like well I can't because there's like a hundred people that rely on, this, on us for their salaries right you have all these people that are like real that this is a huge part of their lives and he felt like an obligation to, to come through for all these people that had become so dependent and so loving and they viewed him as like a god dude it's like it's insane how people thought of him but it really did take a toll on him and he did eventually die of a heart attack at like age 53 which like i couldn't believe i'm like he was only 53 <laughs> like we see yeah, pictures geez, of him crazy. he was just he ballooned up and became very overweight very unhealthy um and it's it was a, it's a very sad story about what what happened with jerry garcia but um um uh, and uh just to wrap up this album it was ranked 82 um in the nineteen seventies, number sixteen in the year of nineteen seventy, and three sixteen of all time. So um and we will do a brief little uh cold listen, hot take on Working Man's Dead, which uh I believe is very similar to what this listen is. So um we'll have that to look forward to at some time in the future. nice Great. All right. So finally, let's kick it over to uh to Josh, little C S N Y.
2: Yeah, so s- some synchronicity with these other bands in terms of uh, some storylines and-, and themes. But in the opening uh, montage, you had Helpless, and now th- in the opener, you're going to hear Woodstock. Said I'm- Okay, so Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young now. Uh, This is their second album deja vu March 1970 it was released it's currently 78 on best ever albums albums of the 70s and we talked about their first album Crosby stills and Nash self-titled back on season 1 episode 17 so just a quick uh, recap from where we left off you've got Graham Nash Stephen Stills and David Crosby and now Neil Young all of other bands previously all in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame for other bands, but they became the first super group, and their first album was released in May of 1969, and then Neil Young joined them in July of 1969. Uh, The terms of Young's contract allowed him to still tour with his band Crazy Horse and give him some some freedom uh, in that respect. He did perform with Crosby, Stills, and Nash at Woodstock and also at Altamont, um, although he, he does not appear in Woodstock uh, and Crosby, Stills, and Nash as a whole do not even appear in Give Me Shelter, um, the documentary that we mentioned um, that ended Wait, the you, 60s.
1: So, so Neil Young, he played at Woodstock, but he wasn't in the movie?
2: Yeah, only only the three of them were, uh, Graham, Graham Nash and Stills were in the Woodstock movie but he was there too so they didn't so, show all of their numbers in the Woodstock movie. okay
1: so oh, okay got it. I was like what do yeah. they just tell him like to put the camera away from Neil during no. their No. <laughs> okay. I
2: yeah I think a lot of the bands you know they they all performed multiple numbers you know because it was over 3 days but right. um they only sh- they only had a couple of uh songs that they appeared in and then The whole band including young was not in give me shelter even though they played at altamont as well okay Um, this album was released in march of 1970 but was recorded between july and january or july of 69 through january of 1970 so you know with the success of the first album uh the drama starts right away as we as we know (laughs) right right before the start of their second tour in april of 1970 um, stills fired the bass player Greg Reeves because he wasn't playing <laughs> bass consistently um, he, and he wanted to like he was kind of like too out there or he was playing uh, you know too freely I guess in some way um, and he also wanted to sing one of his own songs at the show and they said no you're, because your song sucks we're not going we're not going to sing it. Was,
0: was he upset that he was not the R <laughs> in the group? Is that... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, maybe. I imagine that being a big <laughs> argument yeah, yeah.
2: Um, the they were then, uh, he was replaced by Calvin Fuzzy Samuels, who was a homeless Jamaican musician that's st- still found at Island Records in the London studio. <laughs> I, th- I thought you were going to say on the street. <laughs> I mean, maybe outside of the studio. In in his sex mansion, since he, <laughs> he was the, the, the one room. who owned it, to go back yeah. deep, yeah. Uh, they, also, they also fired, uh, their, they ended up firing their drummer, Dallas Taylor, who was on the first album, um, who frequently fought with Neil Young, and also uh when young threat threatened to quit um if they didn't fire him because um after their first show of their tour, um Taylor claims he was fired because he started flirting with uh, Young's first wife while Young was fighting with Stills over the firing of the bass player. <laughs> so who knows? Well, isn't that
1: part? isn't that part of it too? Because I think that like the bass player, Reeves was like buddies with Neil Young and so Stills didn't... There was like a power struggle between the two of them and so like Stills yeah. fired the bass player and then Neil Young fired the drummer because the drummer was friends with Stills. Like it was... It's like all very like third grade like, you know, yeah. kind of
2: behavior. Yeah, so this is this is after you know all this stuff I'm talking about just to get the timeline straight the album was this album was released March of 1970 and this all kind of you know there were, we already knew about the tensions in the band before Neil Young joined Neil Young joining kind of exacerbated the tensions and then all of this stuff happened after the the release of the of the album um much like the Stooges they they break up after this album um due to all the the drama that I am citing so um also they um while on on the second tour for this album the Kent State shootings happened and Young wrote um Ohio very quickly as a result and uh, it was released as a single they pushed the studio and them I guess themselves pushed it out as a single while teach your children was still kind of released as a single on the charts too so that was Ohio was kind of separate but um important obviously and kind of one of their more famous songs and also one of their higher higher uh ranking songs on the charts and um a, bi- a big you know like protest song um for what was going on at the world uh, speaking to kind of our original question or our central question about what we think of when we think of the 70s so also to add to the craziness stills was on a lot of uh cocaine and alcohol abusing both at the time at one point during the tour <laughs> he performed an extended solo set uh while with the band not approved by the other band members because he found out that dylan was in the audience when they were in new york city and so then i guess he just took it upon himself to you know impress dylan or something (laughs) or something (laughs) um
0: i was just imagining that backstage scene with those personalities yeah
2: yeah um the band also fired Stills at one point for two nights during the tour um, when they were in Chicago just because of his craziness, and then the tour finally ended on July ninth, 1970, and then the band broke up almost immediately after that. Um, they also pursued solo projects after this you know to varying degrees of success Um, actually i think they were pretty all successful solo artists after this and then they Mm -hmm. reunited for a tour in 74 um, which had mixed results and then they broke up again immediately Um, this album stayed on the charts for 97 weeks and was is currently their highest selling album of all of their careers put together, even with their solo works. Um, it reached number 11 on the year-end charts for 1970. It had four singles, but only three charted. Uh, Woodstock was the highest at 11, also Teacher Children in Our House, and then Carry On was the fourth single, but did not chart. Um, this album was recorded at Wally Heider Studios in LA and San Francisco. Um, that was also the studio that uh, uh, Credence um recorded at in San Francisco at Wally Hyder, um, I believe. Um the songs uh stills had said uh, in retrospect that getting this album made was like pulling teeth. Um the songs were recorded individually. By each member of the group or I guess their parts were recorded individually for each song and then they kind of melded them together in post so they were, and then Neil Young would often take like record his parts or take his parts for the songs and then take them back and edit them himself in post and so there wasn't a lot of, (laughs) despite the good harmonies on this album they weren't really harmonizing in the studio. Mm. Um, also, as, to add to the drama, Crosby's girlfriend, Christine Hinton, long-time girlfriend, had uh, died during um, the recording of this album, and he was a mess from that as a result. She died in a car crash, actually, um, taking their taking their pets to the vet, which is kind of um, sad, which mm. is sad. Um, we also have some uh, you know, kind of more fun facts. We've got Jerry Garcia on pedal steel guitar on Teacher Children on this yeah. album, so that's yep. kind of the crossover with... Grateful Dead. Um, Country Girl is a mix of three Buffalo Springfield songs that that uh, Neil Young kind of put together as a suite of songs. Um, Hmm. Uh, Woodstock was originally written by Joni Mitchell, who you know, as we've discussed, slept with seemingly Something, every member of them. this band at various <laughs> points, <laughs> or was with I, them in a relationship, not just sleeping with them. But um,
0: I also always remember the story of David Crosby getting fired from the Birds because he just randomly crashed the Buffalo Springfield show. Was it at Woodstock or? somewhere and the birds that, were just so that, pissed that, was that, that he Monterey just pop, I think. Monterey pop. There yeah. you go. And so like, cause think... Neil,
1: cause Neil Young wasn't there. So Crosby yeah. started playing with, uh, with uh, Buffalo Springfield. And so yeah. one of the many times that, that Neil Young would, would like just leave, <laughs> leave uh, Steven Stills at the altar.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's, and I, there's other stuff too. I mean, reading the Wikipedia pages is is, in, is oh. really entertaining. I can't imagine what <laughs> reading a bio about these guys, like a proper bio. But yeah, so this this album really is kind of a continuation of the first album in my mind. Um, it, things happen so close together, and I wanted to add a little bit afterwards for the breakup. So, so John, what did you think of? of Deja Vu. Did you get Deja Vu listening to this album?
0: Well, are we talking about the CSN or are we talking about the Y? Because the songs where clearly the Y is at the forefront are Mm -hmm. very good. I mean, Ohio's not on this. I actually thought Ohio was going to be on this album. So I was kind of shy. And that's like, it's funny that you mentioned that Ohio came out at the same time as Teach Your Children because to me, Teach Your Children and Our House are the songs I think of of this album along with Carry On. Mm -hmm. But they uh just they're so schmaltzy to me like those songs like i can appreciate the harmonies in particular of those songs but just the song our house is just it just seems like every commercial from a certain time period you know what i mean like yeah. it's like two cats in the yard life <laughs> use. it's like that it's like that type of folk that I'm just like, ugh, you know, it just it doesn't do anything for me. And then, like, right as I get roped into that and I'm like, pretty sounds, but doesn't do anything for me, mm-hmm. then there will be like a Neil Young song that comes out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, this, here's the why that makes this a different group altogether. Yeah. And so, from that end of things, the stuff that's the why parts, I love. The stuff that's the CSN, like, I appreciate the harmonies and the, um, the craftsmanship, but it just, it, just doesn't have any edge for me at all, and it just is there, kind of. So that's my initial hot take. I'd be happy mm. to expand along the way. Um, but I'm actually shocked you didn't pick Carry On, Teach the Children, or um, any of those songs. You, you went with two of the deeper cuts. And so um, I think if people were listening to this uh, and listened to the Montage song and um, where I picked Carry On, um, It'll sound one way, but the, the track you picked, Josh, will sound very different, I think. And that's an interesting part of this album.
2: Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. All right, Matt, what about you? So I first think it's really just interesting that Neil Young's in this album at all. Like, yeah. mm-hmm, my understanding, like <laughs> he, he doesn't did, fit, really, like, he do- with well, them. N- no, he doesn't, but especially since cause he and Stills just didn't get along at all. That's why Buffalo Springfield broke right. up, and it wasn't yeah. like it happened 20 years d- ago. And they knew that
2: going into <laughs> yeah and the, the fact creation. that like
1: and the fact that like Steven Stills was like yeah it'll be okay right like I knew that they, I think that they were they were trying to find some other people they couldn't like Steve Winwood and maybe <laughs> yeah. Eric Clapton they yeah. said no so he's like alright yeah. we gotta go to Neil well it's also like I'm
0: struggling with personal issues but, you know why don't I bring in Neil Young and yeah. uh, David Crosby I'm sure that'll be pretty smooth sailing you know yeah. based yeah. on test so, track record
1: so like yeah so bringing Neil Young in here it's it, 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 that's just funny in and of itself Um, I, I, I really like this album Um, especially the first half. I think the first side is is, is very strong. Um, It's it's interesting because um – I think as a it seems less cohesive than the first album. Mm-hmm. It definitely seems like I more agree, of yeah. individual songs written. So you know yeah. where the Stephen Still songs mm-hmm. are. I mean, the two Schmaltzy songs, of course, are Graham Nash, right? There's no yep. way you know Neil yep. Youngers or Crosby are writing those Schmaltzy songs, right? Yeah, they're um,
0: nowhere near them either. If you know no, no. MDK, and I, Yeah,
1: and, and I totally get what you're saying, particularly with "Our House." Actually, "Our House." I could see McCartney doing that. That seems like a very that's a scene. good point. Yep, you know, it's a very so, McCartney. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's it's melodic it's fine it's kind of it is schmaltzy i do really like teacher children even though that's a that's a schmaltzy song i think that's a very pretty song i like the uh the 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 the, the steel guitar on that mm-hmm. carry on to great opener i mean these first two albums have start with great stephen stills opening songs you know and that's and that takes like a little bit of a right turn you know towards the end it turns into this like psychic goes from this folky kind of like jam out song to this like okay now we're going to trip you out with a bunch of like lava lamp you know music and stuff Mm -hmm. so um but uh i think that that's strong i think yeah i think all of the um, individual members best songs are on side one um and uh and then the fifth song woodstock is you know that's i think that that's a great version of that song but i agree when you when neil young comes on with helpless it just kills me you know that uh-huh. just to me, I like all those other songs, but the Neil Young song is like this is this is a different level um, i, I wouldn 't say I necessarily felt that way about Country Girl. that was a very interesting song. And um, and with both of those songs, "Helpless" and "Country Girl," you certainly see the, Neil Young laying the groundwork for what he would do later on. when he did uh, after the Gold Rush and Harvest, you know, those very similar sounding songs on both for both different ways the folk yeah. song and then the one that's very produced with the orchestration and the the timpani and stuff. Um, "Helpless" you know, sounds like it could be on "After the Gold Rush" or "Harvest." Exactly, that's what I'm saying. It? I think yeah. I think both yeah. of these songs could yeah. you know because he was doing both of these sounds on those on those albums. Um, and uh but i love neil young's voice when he comes in i'm just not like i was you know hating on any of the other other guys but when he comes in and he just sings i'm like oh that's just that's so yeah. I, I love Neil Young um, and I'm excited to cover his solo more his solo stuff later on um, but I think Crosby's almost cut my hair is a great song you mm-hmm. know um, yeah, I, I really, I really, really liked that song. I liked all that um, Deja Vu is a little is, is okay I think four four and 20 is a, is a pretty song for the still song mm-hmm. um, did you
0: laugh as hard as I did that there's a song called four <laughs> yeah. plus 20 on it that 20, made laugh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's
1: like well that was probably the that was the that was the light drugs that uh, that, that, that that they were mm-hmm.
0: probably partaking in. so
1: um, so yeah and I can just see this album almost seems to me like what probably what they were doing in the studio was probably very similar to what the Beatles were experiencing doing the White Album, you know, just everybody hating each other and like doing their own thing and like being really resentful and stuff. And actually, Josh, I think I did see something that Graham Nash for when he did Our House when he was approached to, you know, license that he was trying to get everybody else to like agree to it. And Neil Young was like, I don't want you doing that. You know, I don't want my name associated. He's like, well, screw you. Because I don't think Neil Young played on that. I think Neil Young like. No, that's what I'm saying. There's there's
0: nothing like with that that you can even tell that he's in the bit it sounds like the old yeah. stuff
2: yeah. yeah
1: yeah and and that's you know and so like Graham nash did it anyways like screw you i'm gonna get i'm gonna cash a check here but um but yeah some of that stuff you hear like helpless is just neil young 4 and 20 is just um is just stills pretty it's just much, stills you know? yep. so yep. there's so the csn even isn't always there you know as as a group either but right. um but overall i i really did like this um and uh it's it, it's it's still I still look at these guys as like the quintessential like you know 60s hippie baby boomer band. Like Mm -hmm. this is just that folk, you know, that, that folk, uh, you know, they had all the messages. This is a band that's very much, they're very political and they have all these messages about peace and love. And like, and and they're just, it's a little, it gets very heavy handed. Um, and this is the, this is one of those bands my parents love that, like that they just champion is like, this is when music was music. You know, I can see like like, um, getting like that snobby and I get it. But at the same time, it's like, all right, slow your roll. There's other great stuff out there too, but I do, I do like these guys a lot. Well, they're, so I, I they're like
0: that. they're like essential boomer, right? Like yeah, when I think of they yeah. they and Simon and Garfunkel, and like I also think the funny you'll laugh at this. I think, man, I think of them as like the the earlier lineage for a band I really like a lot, but who got a lot of the same thing. They're like the earlier stage of like their boomer group in the same way that like 10,000 Maniacs was like Gen X, like, you know, cause driven Mm -hmm. group, you know what I mean? Or maybe REM, you know, where they're writing about weighty things, you know what I mean? And you love them if you're in the era, but maybe they don't travel as well out of it. So yeah.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Josh, I really like this album also. It is interesting because adding neil young is like a major upgrade in my opinion you can feel his impact right away i love his guitar when he comes in with guitars on different parts of the song you know right right in the first song and then even in the last song it's just like this this hard rock guitar that wasn't present in the first album but on the other hand you can see like the fracturing of the band in this album the more we talk about it yeah. like just the fact that everybody's song is different there's there's less harmonizing on this album as a whole it's like they couldn't even Stand to to harmonize with each other in songs. So in the first album, you have all these like kind of lush harmonies on all of the songs. You only have it in you know songs here and there on this album. Yeah,
1: there's no helplessly hoping on this album, right? No. Which was just straight up that. Which
2: yeah. yeah. So if you like that in your Crosby, Stills and Nash, you're not going to get that as much. But I mean, this album was clearly popular and is their best selling album for a reason. Um, at times, I feel like. You know, with less harmonizing, it's like they're almost taking a backseat to Neil Young on this album. Although it doesn't seem to be the case, it just they kind of all did their own thing and t- stitched it together after the fact. Um, I like. Um, do you guys do you think of this version of Our House or the Madness version of Our House when you hear when you hear that song? Uh, well, i i I, I think
0: that. of I think of them separately because okay. they're they're yeah. different songs. They share one set of lyrics, but not. You know what I mean? Like outside of that one. Yeah. Lyric, the rest of it's totally I different. Think
1: I, I think I normally go to this when I think of Our House, but uh, mm-hmm. yeah, that's... Um,
0: I go um, to both
2: equally, but yeah. for different reasons. See, I think yeah. I might have heard the Madness version first, and so mm-hmm. it kind of threw me off because I forgot that this was originally their song. So when I heard it, I was like, Oh, it's like the madness. (laughs) Yeah. But it isn't a cover. It isn't (laughs) for those that know the madness. It
0: isn't a cover. Yeah.
1: I, I I think it's because of the commercial. I remember this beat, this, the Graham Nash song being in commercials. So as a kid, Mm
0: -hmm. I also Graham Nash, like it's, I don't know if there's another band where the multiple people sing and the person whose voice I like the most has the songs I hate the most. And that's how I feel about, you know what I mean? Like he has a beautiful voice that sings songs I tend to really hate. And that's how I felt about this out. You know, to me, like there's a clear hierarchy on this. It's like Neil Young, Stephen Stills. David Crosby, and then draw a long arrow down Graham Nash, <laughs> and that's like that's the hierarchy, hard hierarchy. And the other, like, thing, the other thing too yeah. is
1: Graham Nash is probably the nicest guy. He probably yeah, would have been the and, easiest to get along. with. Yeah. And my
0: dad's favorite, yeah. my dad's favorite of them, uh, Neil Young's clip. But like he loves Graham Nash. Oh really? So wow. I apologize. I apologize, Dad. That's <laughs> I know you love him, but
2: I don't think I've heard solo Graham Nash stuff. So I guess it probably sounds like this, but. It sounds
0: yeah. like his songs on this, you know, yeah. like very pretty um, English. It, it,
1: that's what he did with the Hollies too, right? The Hollies, yeah. the Hollies in Buffalo Springfield were very different, you know, yeah. like so very, very uh, clean.
0: Yeah. Yes, and that's his that's his solo albums. Yeah, and yeah. he's British, so that's the other thing: yeah. British sensibility. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I agree with Matt. I think the first side of this is stronger because I mean that's those are like five five solid hits yeah. right there yeah. on mm-hmm. that album. It's it's pretty unimpeachable actually. And yeah. then um, there's some there's some things i like i like uh i like our house and i like four and four and twenty i think that's a nice uh, solo song Mm -hmm. and i just kind of like the rock sensibility of that neil young adds to everybody i love you so even the back half is enjoyable it's just not as like hit after hit as the first the first half and yeah so it's great um that's can pretty I, much all I <laughs> had to say about. It. <laughs> can I
0: make a can I make a, a description here that cuz it's like yeah. I in, I enjoy this album, but I feel about this album like I felt like a lot of the albums in the 60s this occupies a specific place and I, I know there's going to be people of a certain age that are going to hate me for saying this, but this does not transcend the era that it's in, in mm, my opinion. Okay. It very much speaks to a time and a place that by the time the late 70s came in, that was what the late 70s wiped off. And I think that's why there's a, this is when music was what it was about this group. Yes. Because yeah. the the late 70s was very much a reaction to stuff like this. It's like, we're going to sing about causes, but we're not going to sing like, teach your children well. You know, we're going to be like, the world kind of sucks uh, for people like us. We're inheriting a different, you know, mm-hmm. ethic, you know? Like, and like, I, I, so as a result, I almost feel like this type of music very much gets... It is very much of 1970, mm-hmm. and and actually even more so the late like Matt, you mentioned that you thought this band was a late 60s band, but this was 70, right? You know, and CSNY yeah. didn't even exist in the 60s, and so like only CSN did, right? So that that's yeah, i think is, that's what i would argue is that this doesn't travel yeah. for me like no, this right, is very much a right 60s album yeah,
2: yeah i mean they recorded
0: mm-hmm. it in in the 60s well, so, but the sound
1: but the sound is this is yeah. a, when you hear this i
0: mean when we talk about when did the 70s start it didn't start here right <laughs> you well, know? no right yeah well and it's also like do you feel like the sound when we get to like the later 70s and the 80s and the 90s like i think a lot of people love listening to it but i go back once again like who are the who are the sons and daughters of this type of music You know, or did it really just, you know, by the time the late 70s came, you know, really Neil Young himself, you can see a lot of what was spawned from him. But, you know, does CSNY carry outside of the time? I mean, you still
1: I mean, let's look. I mean, folk and, you know, Americana music has never really, you know, it's still out there. It's not like it's totally gone. I think I think one of the things that's probably lost. Right. Is the production you know, of, of this type of sound, which is definitely very, you know, kind of, you know, grounded in the 60s. Uh, it, it, but yeah, it, I think that the, these these guys were huge hits. I mean, this was a huge band, and when they reformed later on and played in the 80s and stuff, they were selling out. I mean, I saw them back in, you know, the, the, the early 2000s, and people were losing their minds, you know. Yeah, so, but I mean, they were it, playing
0: this- their shit. Right, was from nineteen seventy.
1: Right, and I agree, and I agree that that's that. that I don't know if people are doing that same genre to the level that they were. I think people are still doing the music. I think the production's different, and I think that the popularity has definitely waned. Uh,
0: I think it stood out to me because we so clearly can see like the evolutionary nature of the Stooges and the Grateful Dead. Like, (laughs) they just continued to influence bands. For decades and decades after, and I think Crosby, mm. Stills, Nash and Young, this album is the most well-regarded, and I understand why. But I also think it's by far the least influential.
2: Hmm. Yeah,
0: hot take. I, I hot take. I take. Might, yeah, a,
1: yeah, I think I that's a valid point. I might need to think more about that, but uh, I, I, I'm not going to totally come out and disagree with it. But um, uh, yeah, I think I, I think that there's definitely that feeling though that these were, you know, these. Freaking people love these guys, man. And I remember even in high school, I yeah. remember like you know kids like, like let's go see Crosby, Stills and Nash. And I was like, eh, like <laughs> it took me a while to get on that train. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, you know, I you I had kids in your that.
0: high school wanting to go see Crosby's. Even the hippies near me weren't necessarily saying, yeah. hey, let's go see CSNY. Yeah I, rem- CSN, I re- yeah, I
1: remember a friend going up to another friend like she was all excited. She's like hey, to my buddy Joth, like, let's go. We're gonna get see Crosby, Stills and Nash. And I'm like, you're gonna go see what? <laughs> like, wow, I, I wasn't feeling that at the time, but uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, I. This was one conversation I heard. You know, it wasn't like yeah. it was this overarching thing, but um, but yeah, um, yeah, I think, uh, and this is the t- this is the type of thing that the Stooges were, you know, like, man, I'm sick of this stuff. <laughs> yeah. You know, this and uh yeah. it, it, it's a very which isn't totally difference.
0: fair because this is really well done versions of that That's type true. of music. You yeah, know, so sure. I, I do want to say that like it's a very enjoyable album. It, it's what was reacted to, but it's there's a lot of. Tripe that's worse. You know what but I mean. It, that really, but don't yeah.
1: we need? But don't we need this stuff, though? I mean, don't you need like you know? Mm-hmm. Re- you know, certain movements or bands or genres or whatever, and then don't you the reactions to them start new genres and stuff like yeah. that? So even though they're totally, I mean, it's all part of the thing, right? So right. they're influential maybe in some ways, and they're influential in totally different ways, like the the backlash, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. I think that I think that we kind of lose sight of that sometimes, and that's you know, it's it's looked at as a negative, but it's also really positive for the different mm-hmm. the different direction that people want to take music. So I think it's important for that as well.
2: Yeah, it's a good point, Matt. Absolutely. So yeah, another another the uh, beginning of the end of the Crosby, Stills, and Nash. For yep. Us. This
0: was oh
1: yep. So this was ranked number seventy eight in the eighties or the seventies. Sorry, and fifteen in nineteen seventy and three hundred seven overall. Hmm. So this is one of the more I think the so the Stooges album I think was the highest ranked. That was like forty eight or something. So I think that was the highest ranked album that we
0: covered today. Okay. Hmm. That's That surprises me. I would have thought the CSNY one was. Yeah. So. Well, next week, we're going to go in a slightly different direction. Well, kind of, because we're going to have another Beatles album. Uh, spoiler Woo! alert. This is, this is the last one uh, <laughs> that th- there is. Let It Be by the Beatles, which will pose the question... Does Matt's love of the Beatles outweigh his hatred of the wall of sound? That's the essential question perhaps next week. <laughs> uh, then we're, then we're going to do Maggot Brain by Funkadelic um, or Parliament, depending on uh, how you want to go in terms of group name. And we'll talk a little bit about why those names can be synonymous or separate, depending on how you look at it. Uh, so we're going to be going back into the the funk, which I think we've really only touched on so far with some bonus ups, Ike and Tina, mm-hmm. Isaac Hayes. We did have Sly and the Family Stone in a full yep. length episode, but we're going to be getting we've into had, that. We've
1: had a lot of elements of funk, but I don't know, straight up okay. funk. I don't know if we've really gotten that yet. We don't, don't have got, the renegades of funk either. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> renegades of funk. Who's covering that one, John? Then, uh,
0: that is going to be me. That's gonna okay. be me who gets funkadelic, and then and jo- that obviously, makes sense. You're the funkiest Matt, member of this bunch, right? Uh, well, <laughs> in in both vibe and smell, depending on uh. that. And yeah, and then uh, and then despite how many times Matt has tried to tell us that people have created metal in the 60s by different stuff. We are going to start with where it. real metal started with Black Sabbath by Black Sabbath next wow. week, which I would argue is the first metal album we're going to cover along I the I believe
1: Ozzy Osbourne was a big Beatles fan. John.
0: He was? He loved <laughs> he them. Yeah. We'll talk about that next week, but let's just say that you're not going to see a lot of the influence in the first album. So we're going to search for it. But yeah, yeah, so a metal album, a funk album, and a... A very interesting Beatles album. Arguably, Matt, do we say the most interesting story leading up to it? Possibly in a series of interesting stories, it may it's, be the it's, most.
1: It's up there. I I, yeah. I might say the White Album is kind of a more mm-hmm. uh, the White Album is just like a a, a a nuts situation. There's all kinds of stuff going on, but but Let It Be's got
0: its own thing going on. So mm-hmm. for, so yeah so yes yeah, so those are our albums for next week we really look forward to covering them in episode two um uh, any final thoughts guys before i sign us off
2: i don't it's already very exciting if we're covering black sabbath in the second episode yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah
1: yeah i I'm, yeah, I, I love i loved all three albums this week um i think i'm gonna love all three next week and mm-hmm. uh tip my hand there but uh yeah i
0: the 70s are going here and I'm, I'm, I'm excited for it. Yeah. Rip Roar and one thing to know is that in the 70s we're going to change it up a little bit and that we're going to do three full length episodes every month and then the fourth episode will be a cold listen, hot take of a veritable slew of albums guys, a slew of albums that are going to be pieced together into an episode so uh, for Josh and Matt this is John wishing you a wonderful today and a better tomorrow take care of yourself the Combing the Stacks podcast is hosted by John, Josh, and Matt, who thank you, as always, for listening to the show. We'd like to thank our podcast host, Anchor, for hosting our full archive of shows. We'd also like to thank Cleanfeed for providing our audio and Audacity for providing the editing software we use for the creation of the show. Combing the Stacks can be found on the following 10 platforms and counting. Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Breaker, CastBox, Google Podcasts, Overcast, Pocket Cast. Radio Public, Spotify, and Verbal. Viewer feedback can be sent to combingthestacks at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at ComingThe and on YouTube by searching for CombingTheStacks and throwing us a follow. A website is coming on May 1st, 2021, and we'll make sure to let you know where to go.